As a pastor for uh, the last 38 years, I've done quite a few memorial services and funerals. And one of my goals in uh, doing a memorial service or a funeral, it's actually parallel uh, with a goal that I have in uh, weddings, is to not mess up. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's an important time, and uh, so we, we hope, and many times it doesn't, but we, we like it when things go as planned. Now, let me tell you, as I was studying this passage, it occurred to me that Jesus didn't have that same goal when it came to funerals. In fact, Jesus broke up basically every funeral he went to. It didn't go as planned. It didn't go as it was going up to that point, And everything changed. And yet, it was always good. Let me give you the backstory of the passage that we're going to read because it, it's what we talked about last week in the first part of, of John 11. But just to remind us, or uh, if you weren't here or if you're visiting with us today. Um, and this, this passage is, uh, John 11 is a passage that I use at every funeral and memorial service that I do. Uh, that's, that's how it speaks to, uh, uh, to that situation. There are, I use it in some way. There are particular verses. I'll point out uh, some. And, and so here's the thing, and I, I mentioned this last week with John 11, is whenever a passage is used a lot, and whenever it, it becomes familiar, if we're not careful, it can, it can begin to lose its impact. In this case, what took place is just stunning. And it should also be comforting. And I don't want you to lose either of those. So I'm going to ask you to to do that which is almost impossible, and that is pretend like you don't know what's coming. Pretend like you don't know the, the message of Easter. Pretend like you don't know about Lazarus as we read through this. Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha, and he was ill. He was a good friend of Jesus, uh, he, Jesus stayed with them a lot. Uh, he was friends with all three of them. So when Lazarus got ill, they contacted Jesus. They let him know that, uh, that he was ill. They sent word. This is what it says, verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said that the illness that w- will not lead to, does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. 
And then it says Jesus stayed there for two more days. And then basically said, okay, now let's go to Judea. So after saying these things, this is down in verse 11, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, uh, he will recover. If you remember, they, they weren't thrilled about going back to Judea because there had been uh, problems there. Uh, Jesus' life was threatened, and so they felt threatened. So they, they were fine with uh, uh, not going to Judea. So when they said, oh, well, if he's asleep, he's going to recover. John inserts, he was actually talking about death. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Now, what was about to happen didn't occur to any of them. Just like it wouldn't have occurred to us if we didn't know this account or if we didn't know about what happened on Easter So let's look at this passage. We're going to pick up with verse 28. Jesus had already arrived there. Verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary. So this is Martha, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor. For he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet 
bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Lord, will you give us ears to to hear, to hear why you preserved this passage for us. Will you teach us? Will you comfort us? Will you challenge us? Will you grow us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at two things today. We're going to look at the God who cares and the God who can. We'll see in a moment what he can. But let's look at this God who cares. So Mary had come out to Jesus. It says she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother uh, would not have died. So Mary is basically saying, you're too late. Isn't she? You're too late. This is your friend. If you'd been here... Now... uh, we may want to give her the benefit of the doubt that she's just saying that in faith, that she's accepting that it's part of his plan and, and so on. But in any case, she's saying you're too late to see him before he died. You're too late to bring him comfort or maybe even heal him. But here's the thing. Jesus is never too late. He's not. His timing may not be what we want it to be. And I've told you before, it actually seldom is the way I want it to be. So if you feel that way, well, I I don't know if you're in good company or not, but you're in my company But he's not too late. His timing is always perfect. Whether we like it or not, whether we understand it or not, it's perfect. So she might have thought he was too late, but here's what happened. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, there's two phrases there, and they look like they're they're very different, but they're very much related. That phrase, deeply moved in his spirit, has to do with being grieved, 
But there's another aspect to it. It's a, a, a combination word in, in the original language, in the Greek. And the, the other aspect of it is that there is an irritation. In fact, where that word is used elsewhere, it's, it's used saying somebody snorted like a horse. So that, ah, all right, so there's that part of it. And then it says he's greatly troubled, which also talks about being angered. Now, I got to tell you, the commentators are all over the board on this. And actually, for me, sometimes that's kind of fun when everybody's got a different opinion uh, on, on what this means. But when I say they're, they're all over the board, and that is in terms of, so if he, was, if he was frustrated, if he was angered, what was, it, what was that aimed at? And uh, some feel like it was, uh, that anger was directed against Mary and Martha for a lack of faith. Some commentators think it was aimed at the people for their excessive grief in this case. Not that they shouldn't grieve over a death, but these were some of the same people that were out to get Jesus. And he knew that. And so some, some commentators think that's what he was irritated. What, you know, this is, you're not even sincere completely in your grief. I, I actually don't buy either of those. Um, I think the best clue is what he says next. He doesn't, he doesn't say to them when he got there and he saw all this, he doesn't say, what's going on here? Or what are you people doing? Why are you acting that way? There's, there's none of that. What he says is, where have you laid him? Here's what I've become convinced was taking place in terms of his emotion, his care here. I'm convinced he had compassion on the mourners. He, had, uh, he, he was grieving with Mary and with Martha. He completely understood it. He was empathetic with them. But he was also completely indignant at death itself. He was angry at seeing the ravages of a fallen world. And he knew that within days he would be in a battle against death and the one that's behind it. I think that's where his anger was. And it was rightly directed, if that's the case. Herman Ritterboss said this, it is, it is the revulsion of everything that is within him against the power of death. And Warfield says, Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of inexpressible anger. 
which tore his breast and clamored for uh, utterance was just rage. It's death that is the object of his wrath, according to Warfield. And behind death, him who has the power of death and whom he had come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but his soul is held in rage as he advances to the tomb. And this is what Calvin said, as a champion who prepares for conflict. Get that picture? This wasn't a, uh, somebody who was out of control or overcome, but he was facing down death, and he knew he was going to have the ultimate showdown within a couple of weeks of this on the cross. And then it says, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. This is a portion of this passage that I use at every single funeral. Because to me, this shows us once and for all, it's okay to weep when we've lost one that we love. It's not sinful to grieve. We don't grieve as those who are without hope. It's what the Bible tells us. But we still grieve because when we're at a funeral, when we're at a memorial service, we know this isn't the way it's supposed to be. But the great news is this isn't the way it's going to be either. So when it says Jesus wept, here is the perfect God-man, the one who never sinned, showing us once and for all it's okay to weep. And those who were looking on, I, I'm, I love that uh, this is recorded. It says the Jews said, see how he loved him. See, they, they, didn't, they didn't say, man, he must not believe in the resurrection. Look how he, he's crying. Or he must not have enough faith. They interpreted it right in this case. See how he loved them. It's okay to grieve when we lose someone we love. Verse 38, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. So there is the God who cares. But I want us to look also at the God who can, and as the outline says, who can do anything. Look at what it says, verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Here is Martha, ever the practical one, right? She's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we, no, we don't want to take away the stone. And I still always, this is one place I, I, I like to go back to the King James. Because in the King James, what it says is, 
Uh, no, he's been dead four days, and he stinketh, okay? <laughs> I don't know why I like that, but I do. <laughs> so, it was the common Jewish belief that corruption set in at four days. Could it be, We're talking about the timing of Jesus, could it be, and I think the answer is yes, that he deliberately waited until then so they would know. There would be no question if he walked out of that tomb that he had already entered into corruption. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. He didn't, he didn't have to be praying out loud or saying anything out loud. This was just another opportunity for uh, the people to see, okay, Whatever's about to happen has, is coming from, from God the Father. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Spurgeon famously said, Jesus called Lazarus by name. Because if he had just said, come out, all of the dead would have come out of the graves. <laughs> I think he's right. Verse 44, the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now let's think about what had to have just happened. He was recomposed. 1 Corinthians 15. This was in our Bible reading this week, in our um, Bible reading challenge, summer challenge. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 Paul said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. Here's what I want you to hear. And the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. So, what we're seeing here is a glimpse that which was perishable and which was perishing physically in the tomb walked out of the tomb recomposed and he lived his life from then on. It's, it's always fascinated me to, to think I wonder what his life was like from then on. Think about that later today. 
The difference, though, with Lazarus, the difference between that and, and what we will all experience when Jesus comes back is that, that Lazarus was still perishable, wasn't he? He, he, he was going to get sick again sometime. He was going to die again. He was going to be prepared and laid in a tomb again. Now, I have a theory. And when I say, whenever I preface it with that, it's because I can't prove it. And uh, it's, uh, so I'm going to leave it at a theory. But I think it's possible that just like when we grieve, when we weep, there may be many reasons for it. And I think it's possible that there's another reason why Jesus wept at the tomb. I think he might have wept in addition to missing his friend and, and seeing death and the ravages of a fallen world. I think he might have wept because he knew that within a moment he was going to call Lazarus back from paradise. Back from being with the Lord. Back into a fallen world. From a place where there were no more tears or sorrow or pain to the place that literally was full of that. And where he was, it was full of that that moment earlier, could it be that Jesus also wept for that reason? But there was a consolation. Jesus had said earlier, and this is what we looked at last week, back in verse 25. Moments before this happened, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He said. And then after that, he showed what the resurrection and the life looked like. He showed us what was going to be accomplished forever for his people within days when he went to the cross and the tomb and the tomb that became empty because he walked out of it alive. And the raising of Lazarus, and this is a turning point. We'll see next week in terms of the reaction of, of those who didn't believe that his, his death was sealed from a human perspective. The raising of Lazarus is a picture of what Christ has, has done for us. Let me, let me bring, bring it around this way. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says this, We were dead in our transgressions and sin. We were dead. Spiritually dead. It was as though we were sealed up in a tomb because we couldn't do anything to save ourselves, 
spiritually. That was our status before Christ. And then the one who is the resurrection, the life, conquered death for us on the cross and called us by name, like Lazarus. Remember? My sheep hear my voice, and they know it. He called us by name from death to life. But the difference between us and, and Lazarus' physical resurrection is that, that we will never die again spiritually, ever. We will not go through spiritual death. There's another passage that I use at every funeral. 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So here's the thing. Next time we hear a loud command from Jesus, it won't just be Lazarus come out. It will be to all who have died in Christ. And their bodies will be raised up from the grave and from the seas, and it, their bodies will be recomposed and reunited with their souls, and all who are in Christ will be with Him and with one another forever. If you are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, no matter what your age, no matter what your health, your best days are ahead. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, if, if, if we're having a hard time believing that, will you give us the faith to believe? And if that hasn't just absolutely comforted our hearts, if we're trusting in Christ alone for eternal life, will you grant us that comfort? Will you, Lord, cause that to remove fears that we might have? uncertainties that we might have. Will you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.